Hi, it's Leon Dolan, and my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical, is out now and available everywhere. People Magazine chose it as an April pick of the month, one of the best this week, a hopeful take on commitment, they said, and an innovative story about marriage. Mmm, sounds juicy. The Marriage Sabbatical, out now, available everywhere. This is Liz Dolan. This is Sheila Dolan. This is Monica Dolan. This is Leon Dolan. News, talk, and laughs. We tackle the world one cup of coffee at a time. One cup of coffee at a time. You're listening to Satellite Sisters to To Satellite Sisters to Satellite Sisters to Go. We are the Satellite Sisters. It is Sunday, June 2nd, and this is Liz Dolan. Believe it or not, I am in Istanbul, Turkey. I know that's hard to believe, and at this very moment, I'm not sure I even believe it, but here I am. I'm in Istanbul. There's a lot of breaking news from Istanbul today, so we are going to cover that on Satellite Sisters, and I'm joined with my sister, Julie Dolan, in uh, in Dallas, Texas. Julie, I know you, you have frequently found yourself in places where... News is unexpectedly happening all around you, right? Liz, this is amazing that we are doing this broadcast this morning and you are there on the ground in Istanbul to let us know what's going on. I've been so worried about you all weekend long, but Uh I'm glad we're talking. Thanks, Jewel. And uh, Sheila Dolan, also known as Annabelle Needle, for the purposes of our Skype connection, which seems to be working exceedingly (laughs) well today under the circumstances. Sheila Dolan, you are in South Pasadena. How is everything there? I'm, I'm doing fine, but I'm concerned about you, Liz. Yeah, okay. Well, so here's my story. I'll just tell you what's going on here. I, I was on my way to Istanbul for work. Uh, I had been actually in London at the end of the week for work. So Saturday morning, I got up the way you do when you have to get up early in the morning and go to the airport. And I just went up and got to the airport and got up and went to the airport. And then like I'm on my way here when I realized like, wow, things are happening very fast in Istanbul. For those of you who are not on top of the news, there's been a series of demonstrations and a series of very harsh government reactions to the demonstrations. So I arrived uh, Saturday afternoon. On the drive-in from the airport, things were totally normal, like you never would have known. And this is an amazingly beautiful, like modern and ancient city. It's just a, a gorgeous place. It was a gorgeous sunny afternoon. Julie, you've been to Istanbul, right? You know what amazing spot it is. It's spectacular because the city is built on a series of hills. And just as you said, it's a real contrast between old and new Mm -hmm. and east and west. And in the middle of it is the Bosphorus uh, River, which has uh, just incredible traffic of of oil tankers and ships uh, passing in very close proximity. So it's an amazing place to visit. Yeah, it's an amazing. So the Bosphorus Strait, Sheila, if you can imagine, you're on two sides of the river, but one side of the river is Europe and the other side of it is Asia. 
and all of the traffic that goes between Europe and Asia, not all, but a lot, comes right up like through the middle of the city, as if it was the Hudson River between, say, New York and New Jersey or Manhattan and Brooklyn. Imagine if Brooklyn was Asia. That's sort of the way it works geographically. Incredible. So... Um, so things were pretty calm until we got into the center of the city. We were driving and then all of a sudden, um, we drove around what looked like a big soccer stadium and people were pouring into the streets with banners and horns. And really, if you didn't know, it would have been easy to mistake it for a post game celebration, you know, the the way people pour pour out of a stadium. But then we were stuck there for quite a while and it became clear that it was a long march and there were many marchers that would not let the traffic pass. So we just sort of sat there for a while and thousands of people came marching by. They were waving Turkish flags. They were chanting. And most were totally normal families, people of all ages. And again, you wouldn't necessarily have known that there was anything unusual going on, except that so many of the people were either wearing face masks um, or they were wearing bandanas over their faces uh, oh. because the the previous, as you know from the news, the previous several nights, they had been tear gassed by the government. So, And I, this was a protest that started because right in the center of Istanbul, there's a square called Taksim Square, and they wanted to cut down the trees in, in the square. Isn't that correct, Liz? So right. this started really as a protest about trees. Yeah, but I was, you know, I was talking to a guy here that I had dinner with last night who who works, a colleague of mine here, and he said that was just like the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, it was, it was really that the people are so sick of the, the corruption and the cronyism that comes from having the same guy in power for 10 years, and also the creeping religious influence of the government over daily life, things that didn't exist in Turkey before. It was always known as a very secular country, though Muslim. Now there are all kinds of new laws enforcing uh, religious regulations. And so, and so the, the idea to like tear down this part of the park and put up a shopping mall, which will no doubt you know, be owned by his friends and his family and all of that. I think that's from what I've heard from my Turkish friends here. That's what really drove people into the streets. So, um, but when I saw these people coming by me, I mean, they were prepared for, for gas or whatever, but they were not fleeing that. It appears that that has been happening um, largely at night, like it happened again last night. So I checked into my hotel and it was just... It's amazing when you're in a place, and maybe you experienced this when you were living in Russia, Julie, and to a certain extent in Thailand, is that sometimes the people in the place know way less about what's going on than people that have come from the outside. <laughs> right. I maybe And maybe because they're in the hospitality business, Liz, they didn't want to scare you or alarm you. They want your visit to be pleasant, and so they yeah. just don't want to mention anything about the protesters. You yeah. Know? And then... If you don't have free press in the country you're visiting, then that can also impact what you find out about. Right. I think that was the main thing. He seemed to have no problem, like, 
he wasn't even so much telling me about the protesters. He was asking me about the protesters. He said, none of the television channels here are covering what's going on at all. So we can't find out what's happening except from our friends. But, you know, if you just came in from London today, you must know what's happening. And it was, you know, you read, especially during the whole Arab Spring, you, real, you read about how, like, the role of Twitter or Facebook in a situation like this. And over the past 48 hours, I've really been able to see that play out because on Twitter, I follow several of my colleagues from here in Turkey. And so for the past 24 hours, a lot of their posts are, have been in Turkish, so I can't get, get all of them. But that's can, tough to follow, Liz. I don't know about you, but that's the other thing. Turkish is really hard to make heads or tails of yes. as as a foreigner just coming in trying to like yes. figure out some basic stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But they've been tweeting a lot of photos, people that have found themselves in Toxim Square in the wrong moment or have friends that have been beaten in some way. So you can, because of the flow of photos, uh, sort of get a feel for what's happening in the day to day. So, so, so that was interesting, and I've been trying to stay on top of that. So, so as I said last night, I had I had dinner with a colleague who who lives in town, and he was sort of explaining uh, his perspective on the um, the power dynamics here and what really drove people into the streets. But then it was coming back from dinner. I was just alone in a taxi, and by then things had definitely heated up some more. So at one point, my car had to thread through a really loud, really big crowd of people who were chanting and banging pots and pans. And uh, some of it, but again, it was not threatening. Uh, We were not around Toxim Square, but it was just people, it was again, more like a happy chant, almost like we are going to take control again, you know, kind of a power to the people feeling. But obviously, Later that night, from what I've been able to tell from the news, things again uh, broke down into clashes with the police and there was more gassing and more injuries and more arrests. So I was not near that. Just to be clear, I wasn't sort of driving through where the real trouble was. But um, all over the city, people seemed energized and they were out on the streets quite late expressing their, you know, enthusiasm, fear, you know, hopes, whatever it was. So, um, and so what's going on today, Liz? I mean, it's, it's the end of the day, your time now in Istanbul. So what, what's happened today? What are, what do people think is going to happen tonight? You know, it's so interesting. Today has been very quiet. It was raining this morning. So I suspect that that sort of quiets things down, too. People are more likely to stay in. But also the demonstrations um, went very, very late last night. So I assume people were just home today. And I've read some of the feeds, the news feeds that you can read here are from the BBC or from CNN, or there's been someone blogging uh, for the New Yorker magazine who's here in Turkey. And a lot of those reports say that hundreds of backup police are being flown into Istanbul right now. So that can't be a good development. Um, But I haven't seen or heard of any violence happening today. But it is, you know, it's just kind of incongruous. You could, so this afternoon I, I walked around, I'm right here on the waterfront on the Bosphorus and people are out. It's a sunny, beautiful Sunday afternoon. Families are out like having lunch in the square. 
it's almost, it's that, you know, it's such an anomaly where, like, here's what's going, some people are carrying on with their normal lives, but in the meantime, there are things going on in other places or things that will go on tonight that are completely different than what I'm witnessing um, here during the day. But I was here to work tomorrow, you know, tomorrow. Yeah, I was going to say, Liz, what, tell me again, why is it that you're in Istanbul? <laughs> Longer are you going to stay in that hot spot? Okay, can I just say this about thanks a lot, British media? Um, so, <laughs> as I say, I, I woke up in London on Saturday morning. I got up early and went to the airport, but I did tune into the BBC. And just general, not because I thought I was concerned about anything, just generally I like to know what's going on in the world. And the two main stories I saw on the BBC yesterday morning before I got on the plane to come to Istanbul, the first one, unbelievably, was about the big badger cull starting in the UK on June 1. Now, <laughs> badger news, you can't get enough of it, Liz. Come on. Breaking badger news. And uh, apparently, uh, this is something that I had not really been familiar with before. They have, they're having a problem with tuberculosis in cows in Britain. And they believe that these badgers could be spreading the TB. And so the government decided to cull the badgers in an attempt to save the cows or lessen bovine tuberculosis so there and of course there are there are pro badger people out there in the world so there was the it was <laughs> hotly debated on the bbc breakfast show yesterday about whether or not this was fair to kill the badgers to save the cows so um there will always be a britain and the story of the story, <laughs> story like that exactly is exactly why there will always be a britain or your evidence that yep it's still there. Now, the second, second story on the news, also in the There Will Always Be a Britain uh, category, was that this weekend is the 60th anniversary of Queen Elizabeth's coronation. Now, oh. Julie, because you staff the royal desk for Satellite Sisters, I'm not sure whether you were up on this, but it is this weekend the big anniversary. Of course, Liz. I was had my own little private celebration here uh, toasting the Queen. So, yes, that's great, Liz. <laughs> So they interviewed, she had, when she was, um, made, became the queen 60 years ago this weekend, she had six ladies in waiting who carried her train in that wow. ceremony. All six of them are still alive. And all six of them were interviewed on the BBC yesterday morning, which, so you had the badgers and you had basically the bridesmaids is what I was, you know, <laughs> the way I was, so both of them interesting in their own, there will always be a Britain way, but actually not that useful for me trying to make a decision whether or not I should fly to Istanbul. Yeah. So yeah. the yeah. key story, which actually, to be fair, didn't break until later in the, the news started to come out of Istanbul really yesterday morning by the time the international news services were on it in a big way. I did not get that piece of information until I was already on the plane. But, I mean, having said that, I was here for a day of work tomorrow in our Turkish office, and then we were having a big kind of meeting and celebration tomorrow night, Monday night, uh, because they've had a big successful year here, and that was one of the reasons I wanted to be here. So today I had lunch with the guy 
who runs the office here, and he he really decided that to close the office for tomorrow and obviously cancel the event. That really people uh, people should stay home with their families, and if that's what they want, or if they want to participate in the demonstrations, that's what they should do. But that what they shouldn't do, he said, well, maybe we should go ahead and just have a meeting with you as long as you're here. I was like, really? I don't think, I think that would be crazy for people to like take their life in their hands to spend time with me. No, I just don't. Don't I, do it. No. But, all right, so speaking of taking your life in your hands, how are you going to get from your hotel back to the airport and home? Right. Well, I, I don't think it's really that dangerous that it's a take your life in your hand situation. I mean, if you're a demonstrator and you're going face to face with the police, with the gas and the water cannons, that's an entirely different thing. I, I still don't have a, I still don't have a flight out of here tomorrow, uh, but we're working on that. Um, the giant we of like people who I can call on these emergency travel numbers. But um, I think I will, you know, safely get out of here tomorrow. I'm actually much more concerned about my my Turkish friends and colleagues who are in the midst of this right now, and they don't know how to make it end. They obviously have hopes and dreams for their country and are fighting for those hopes and dreams. And you just don't know where that is going to take them. You know, it is a real, it's a real turning point for a country like this that has not experienced this kind of upheaval in a really, really long time. Liz, let me ask you one, one last question about this. I mean, do you think that, I mean, Turkey did not participate in the Arab Spring. They didn't have that, uh, that, that, you know, that, the, that, do you think this is it now? I mean, is that what your colleagues are telling you? Do you think they, they think that this is the moment to, to make some substantial change in their political system? It's hard for me to say, having only spoken to a handful of people, so I wouldn't want to make some giant geopolitical you can't, Liz. It's so oh, I can go ahead. Oh, I can do, do that. it all the time. But, well, it just uh, seems but, like... No, but, but I, I would be curious as to their observations. It just seems like it's people acting on their dreams for the country to be truly free and democratic, but feeling like over the last 10 years with this guy Erdogan, the prime minister's name is Erdogan, with him in charge, that actually there's been a rolling back and that his, of their freedoms and that his behavior is actually more like the despots who were running the other countries in the Arab Spring than Turkey had ever been. You know, Turkey's been, basically it's been a country for about 90 years. and But a secular, largely democratic state for most of that time. So this sense that they are rolling back into a more authoritarian government and a more religiously based government, that seems to be what they are reacting against. Whether or not that's the same dynamic as was at work in Tunisia or Egypt. I mean, all of these countries are so different and their situations were so different. But it's clearly a, a sense of the people here that they've had enough of what they sense now is going backwards when it comes to their individual rights and freedom. And then when, when they had always considered themselves, you know, one of the countries in the region that was the most forward, you know, Julie, it was like they and. Turkey's always been a great place to visit, a great place to do business, a very, you know, sort of large and free kind of um, country in this part of the world. So, so that's the sense I get. That, like they, they just need to stop the rolling back of their freedoms because unlike a, a lot of the other countries in the region, they had experienced these freedoms. 
which is <laughs> not something you can say about, you know, Tunisia or even Egypt, you know. So, again, in my very limited knowledge of this from from my room at the Radisson, you know, that's, I don't. <laughs> well, well as, I often, as I often say about stories that I know nothing about, keep it posted, Liz. <laughs> Thank you. I I think if you really want to know what's going on, I would suggest Christian Amanpour (laughs) would be Christian Amanpour is bound to be a better source than me, Sheila. But I'm the best you've got on satellite sisters right now. That is true. That is true. um, Take care of yourself. Report and safe travels home. Yes. And, you know, it's just one of those weird things that even tonight as I was coming back up to my hotel room to record this, there were all of these beautiful ladies in gowns arriving at the hotel for some kind of function. So, like, on the one hand, life goes on. And meanwhile, people are getting gassed in the streets. It's a very hard thing to wrap your mind around when you only have one tiny little view of it from uh, your corner of the city. So there you have it. That's my yeah, report for now. careless. I will. Thank you, Sheila. So, so, Sheila, what's going on with you? Well, my only hope and dream is to get my report cards done. <laughs> the end of the school year. woo It's the end of the year. I've been writing report cards for two weekends. So that means I've done everything but writing report cards. <laughs> I've surfed the net. I've done 16 loads of laundry. I've cleaned my car several times. You know, you do everything but. Um, so I was surfing, um, looking in the New York Times wedding section, which is always a great distraction, Julie. Mm-hmm. Yes, I know. I love it too, Sheila. And I wanted to just, I wanted to tell you about the wedding of the century that you may not know about. Thank you. Uh, about a couple who was, uh, basically they were married at the Wolf Connection, which is a sanctuary for wolf-dog hybrids. <laughs> whoa, whoa, Sheila, that's amazing. Speak speak directly into your mic, Sheila, because I don't want to miss a word of this. I don't understand. Well, the What's founder, uh-huh. can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah. The founder, um, uh, Mr. Alfaro, his name is Tia Alfaro, he founded the Wolf Connection, a sanctuary for wolf-dog hybrids. <laughs> he, he is 20 years his bride's senior, so Renee is his wife, and they met when she was, uh, I think, 18. Oh, and she okay. Was taking classes. She was taking classes in exotic animal training. <laughs> I, what is a wolf-dog hybrid? I didn't even know those existed. I well, thought- apparently people have been breeding uh, dogs and wolves, and they're very cute as puppies, but then they become absolutely ferocious or vicious and people (laughs) (laughs) abandon them and Mr. Alfaro saw a need he went in and started rescuing these wolf dog hybrids okay and and his bride started working volunteering at the wolf connection when she was just a young girl Mm. who knew that the wolf connection would bring a love connection (laughs) And, I mean, a lot of the announcements about how long they had to wait to, like, to have an actual relationship because she was underage. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. That's kind of of a creepy aspect to this New York Times announcement. (laughs) You don't I can see that. 
And so I, these these wolf pups, they're big now. So aren't they ferocious? And isn't that a dangerous place? Oh, they're to- huge. They were everywhere at the wedding. So basically the wedding was at the sanctuary, Julie, and they had a teepee. They got married in front of a teepee. Yeah. Um, she wore a $65 dress. Mm-hmm. Um, the wolf dogs were in tow. Uh-huh. And, and then, you don't want to wear a big expensive dress because what if the wolf dogs start shredding the dress? You know, that would be a waste of money. So I can see that. And, okay. And here's some, here's some good details. Portable toilets and power generators were brought in because the ranch does not have plumbing or electrical lines. <laughs> yes, that is nice. That's good living. And, That's good living. And the wolves were pacing nervously nearby the guests. So basically... Imagine yourself in the middle of nowhere with wild wolves circling you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And no toilet. I mean, no, nothing. Um, and, and then tufts of pale wolf dog fur floated in the wind. That's just a nice. That's poetic. Wow. Oh. I got to say. The New York Times has gone pretty far afield with their wedding announcements now. You know, 25 years ago, you would not have gotten this kind of a wedding covered in the paper. Absolutely not, Liz. I mean, the wolf dogs were howling. People were, you know, dancing um, in the dirt. I mean, it basically, uh, it, it was quite an announcement. And I suggest everyone look at it just to get the full, you know, the full import of the wolf dogs themselves. Because she is seen hugging a wolf dog directly after she exchanges her vows. Oh, wow. <laughs> but it sounds like the kind of party where people wouldn't linger. You know what I mean? That the happy people could start their honeymoon right away. Because uh, it's not like you want to spend a lot of time with the, with the wolf dog circling. No, and there's only li- very little shade on the premises. So you can imagine you were in the hot sun the entire time, Julie. Oh, gosh. Oh. And what did it say? What did they serve? Like raw meat or something? <laughs> what, what did they serve? I, I was just thinking you're not going to take the little I, I don't chop. know what was served. I don't want to know mm-hmm. because basically there was no electricity. So you can imagine what kind of caterer would go to a site with no electricity. Well, there are generators, but you're right. That's <coughs> This sounds like a very unique wedding. We'll have to be sure to post the link to that uh, in the Facebook group, Sheila. Okay. So I just wanted to let you, you know, that's it. That's the only thing that's really going on in my world. Okay. Uh, that's surfing the net. <laughs> Good luck with those report cards, Sheila. I, oh, Julie. Maybe you need a couple of wolf dogs <laughs> circling your desk to make you finish your those report cards. Yes. And as I said to my colleague, how many different ways can you say having difficulty with? (laughs) (laughs) I found out there's a lot of ways. There's a lot of different ways. How about you, Julie? How are you doing? Well, uh, two big stories that, uh, Liz, I think you might have missed. And Sheila, it sounds like you've been so busy with the wolf dogs and the report cards you might have missed. Um, (laughs) And they both have both have to do with um, a smoking ban. Starbucks coffee came out this week with a ban saying that you could not smoke within 25 feet of their stores. So if they ha- if it's a Starbucks that has some outdoor seating, you no longer can 
smoke, um, get your coffee and sit outside and smoke. And also the country of Russia has now put in place a smoking ban as well in all public places that you're now no longer able to smoke because four out of 10 Russians smoke and they're trying to combat, you know, the, you know, smoking and the link with cancer. And it is my prediction that in both cases, both of Starbucks and in Russia, that these policies are going to fail. Oh, really? Why, why do you believe that? Well, I, I, I mean, think of smokers in this country. Really, like, the only place they can smoke right anymore is outside of Starbucks. That's the only reason they go to Starbucks. Is I can't believe you're, you're saying this because you wouldn't believe what happens every night at my Starbucks. And I've been going down there late to re- write report cards and get cake pops and things. <laughs> what happens at Starbucks? There's a group of Russian men that sit at my Starbucks and smoke 26 feet out from the patio. Because this, Julie, it's, it's no joke. They're Russian and they're smoking at 26 feet. They're smoking up a storm every night at my Starbucks. Yeah. See, I just don't know how Starbucks is going to police the no smoking ban. This is what, or maybe they're just relying on other Starbucks customers to uh, to hound the smokers out, you know, away from the twenty five feet. I don't. I, it's not like I want smoking at Starbucks. I just don't see that it's going to have much enforcement. Mm-hmm. And the same is true in Russia. I mean, uh, when I lived in Moscow. Um, you know, I, we would go into a restaurant and we'd ask for the non-smoking table. And that would be like one table in the middle of the room. And everyone <laughs> smoking all around you. That was that was their idea of non-smoking. They just they just don't have it. They You know, four out of ten people smoke there. And this new smoking ban, it, it doesn't really have any fines uh, attached to it. Uh-huh. Uh, they are fines. They're very it's low amounts of money. So it just seems like it's not going to work if there's no one there to enforce it or if you could bribe a police officer uh, into, you know, you give a police officer some money so you can stand there and smoke and nobody will bother you. Wow. Yep. Well, that's so interesting that you bring that up, Julie, because in the news here yesterday, what well, one of my friends was saying to me that it's just because the prime minister hasn't sort of addressed the issues of violence or safety or what's going on with the park and the shopping mall at all, they were using it. He was pointing out in the paper that the big article, the news media here is also so corrupt and refuses to cover the government. The big article here was about the new no smoking policies they're going to, he's going to attempt to introduce here in Turkey. So rather than talk about what the true issues of the day were, he's getting on yeah. the no smoking bandwagon. Well, there you go, Liz. That apparently is the cover for the week: is to just put in place a non, a no smoking ban, and there you have it. However, so my and my other big story, Liz, that I wanted to ask you, the TV executive, um, who is uh, just I, I was getting my nails done uh, this week, and I, I got managed to get um, a fresh copy of Us Weekly, and was perusing. Ooh, that's like gold. <laughs> they didn't steal it because, it was right, particularly at my nail salon, because they don't have fresh magazines. That's uh, <laughs> they have really old magazines. But somehow, somebody must have purchased one of these and just left it there. Yeah. But 
I, I, I'm detecting a trend in summer TV shows, and I just wanted to ask your opinion or why this is happening. That I'm noticing that there are a number of shows that are going to be on this summer that are, you know, that involve groups of women, which I think, yay, that's good. I like to see more women on TV. That's good. But these women are all engaged in very unattractive things. Can I get, for example, there's one show called Dance Moms, and this is about mothers and daughters behaving badly at dance studios, okay? Oh, yes. That's been around for several seasons, Julie. People love that show. Okay, what about mob wives? Okay, again, highly, you know, these are, uh, you know, mobsters' wives mm -hmm. engaged okay. in highly mm -hmm. unattractive behavior. Yes. Okay, Julie, I think we have to, we have to just, say this politely these shows are not new <laughs> they are, okay well I, they're new to me Sheila. how about devious where Ma are you devious <laughs> maids is that a new show that's have, a new show that's i haven't heard show. of that what is that active maids involved in highly devious things or how about how about the show mistresses is there anything okay. more unattractive <laughs> no you're right Okay, it's it's clearly a trend, not necessarily brand new this season, uh, but you're right. I think these sort of reality shows, well, didn't Real Housewives kind of invent the whole genre of women behaving badly towards each other? I mean, Yes, like, either that or The Bachelor. One of those two shows invented women behaving badly. So, yes, well, again, I tell you, my nail salon, maybe it wasn't a new Maybe it was a couple of years old. I don't know. The truth comes out. <laughs> but it got me thinking about all these shows and how how they all get on the air. Uh, aren't there any? There must be other, like, TV executives like yourself, Liz, that, that can, you know, raise your hand and say, stop. Can't we have some shows about, like, nice women or women engaged in, you know, attractive activities? You know what, Julie? I just think that there is a feeling that there is very little drama in people behaving correctly. You know, it just doesn't, it doesn't. And I think Chekhov even noted that during his playwriting career. Didn't he say, like, all happy families are the same, but it's all the dysfunctional families that are interesting and different? I mean, he didn't mm. use those words. But I think there's just a long been a realization in the world of, drama and stakes and, you know, people getting pitted against each other that, uh, yeah, that that's sort of the heart of it. Um, I have noticed, I recently saw almost all of the new pilots that are coming on to TV this fall for all of the networks. And so the trend that I noted is there are a lot of shows about loser fathers or loser parents. It was a running theme of oh, like, God. yes, That's nice. That's nice. Really. Yeah. I was really kind of shocked because you read about the, the trend of sort of middle-aged or younger people moving back in with their parents because they're broke. But in fact, what's happening on TV is there are quite a few comedies that are about middle-aged people whose parents move in with them because the parents are broke. So you can look forward to that in the fall. That's just, 
Oh, that's great. Okay, well, um, speaking of TV shows, here's my pitch, Liz. As long as you're saying the trend is going to continue for unattractive behavior, <laughs> here's my pitch, which is sort of a reality show because this is this is what is what's happening. Is <laughs> I have I have one Eileen Fisher outfit that is it's it's totally good. It's ready to go, and I am sending it to Lynn. Uh, and or Sheila because you know we like to share clothes we're sisters but I only have one outfit and I can see that this outfit can either either go to Sheila or <laughs> Lillian but uh, so this but, is my okay. whole this is my idea for a new, new TV show Liz one outfit two sisters <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm Julie what color is it first of all it's black, Sheila. It's black with a black and silver jacket. It's, it's, it's It can work. It can work. It can work on both of you. See, that's the thing. So it's uh, it could be a nice new, uh, fresh staple to your um, to your uh, wardrobe. Well, I I cannot wait to receive it and go through it. And you know, can it be separate? I mean, can we each get one piece? Will, will well, that work? However, you two want to. I mean, I don't want it back. So that's the thing. I'm sending it to you two. Okay, and we'll fight it out. However, you can work it out uh, with your younger sister Lee, and um, you know, first come, first serve, or you know, you can take the jacket, she can have the pants, or whatever, or you can share it as an ensemble uh, on a on a case by case basis. <laughs> <laughs> Clothes for cash. <laughs> well, I I mean, I have to say, uh, one outfit, two sisters. Sounds like a pretty good concept for our show, Julie. But I'm thinking the couple living with the wolf-dog hybrids might be an oh. even better idea. Oh, oh, we're all over that. In fact, I shouldn't have even – I think there's I, – I, I need an agent. I mean, that, that show, it has to take place, Liz. And I think you know the people who can make it happen. I'm sure if that was in this morning's paper, a deal has already been made by tonight. Because that just seems incredibly obvious to me. That could be one tricky show to do with no no electricity on site. <laughs> well, Liz, I it's obvious that you need to get back to this country safely. Yes, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of work to be done over here in TV land, and we we you know we need your help, and we want you to have safe passages, and uh, just. It's fascinating to hear what's really happening in Istanbul today. Yeah, and I'd say, yeah, I will be heading my way home tomorrow, so I'll be posting on the Satellite Sisters group as I do that. Uh, but in the meantime, pay attention to the news from Turkey. It is, it's really interesting and really important. And think about, you know, just sort of, I've been very impressed with the heart of the Turkish people, particularly the Turkish people that I know here, how much they care about their country and how proud they are of their country and how they're really fighting for the future of their country right now. And um, it's kind of an important thing that's playing out. So it's, uh, it's worthy of spending some of your news time paying attention to the news from Istanbul. All right. Here, here, Liz. Take good care. All right. On that note. And, oh, and we should say, speaking of travels, Leon Dolan uh, is out on her book tour right now. Uh, if you pay attention at the Satellite Sisters Facebook group or at her Leon Dolan author page on Facebook, she's been posting photos of her various readings around New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut this week. I think she's in Madison, Connecticut tomorrow or anyway. So 
She's doing the sweep through the tri-state area right now. And from what I can tell from the photos, it seems like a lot of you are turning out to see her. And she said she sent us an email. I'm sure you guys saw that about how much fun it is to be out there on the road and meet all of these satellite sisters. We always love it. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. She suggested to us that we should go on a book tour, even if you don't have a book. It just makes <laughs> <laughs> Sheila, I've got the perfect outfit for this book tour without a book for you. you I'm all have... over that. And you gave me a special phone call telling me you were sending me the outfit. So I think I should get the outfit. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, well, on that note, we will wrap it up. Um, Everybody take good care this week. We are the Satellite Sisters, and don't forget, call your Satellite Sisters.